It's like it's 1997 or 98 all over again. We're chasing home runs, folks, this week on Drippin' Sports. What's up, Ice Time Nation? Welcome back to Drippin' Sports, the only sports show that you should be listening to on the podcasting space and honestly, just anywhere. I'm Matty Ice. Coach, what's going on? Iceman, uh, I'm excited. You know, we're in the middle of the start of football season and we have a great baseball storyline. And it takes me back to kind of my adolescence in a way. The, the big home run chase, the Maguire, Sosa, King Griffey Jr., you know, right in the heart of the steroid era. And I remember how exciting that was, though. And, and we kind of got a little bit of that right now. And Pujols was someone who came on the scene right around that time, you know, as that was winding down. And a uh, fun story for me is, is he played single A ball right here in Peoria for the Peoria Chiefs way back when. And uh, I, I had heard kind of a crazy story about how he had to borrow some Borrow some money from a clubhouse attendant when he when he was in Peoria because he was probably making pennies at that point in time. But anyways, long story short, super excited to talk about a little baseball um, in the midst of football season. Baseball was my first love, sports-wise. And my dad, I grew up watching Red Sox games. My dad's a huge New England sports homer. But growing up, we weren't anything to t- write home about or talk about. Boston sports was a joke, and it's not what it is today or what has become today. But I remember that home run chase. I think it was 97 or 98. I can't remember exactly when it was, but it had we had not turned over into the new millennium yet. And Maguire and Sosa reinvigorated the sport because remember the strike in 1994, it really ruined what was then America's sport. And we talk about football being that sport, but Maguire and Sosa, no matter what the circumstances were behind it, they captured the nation. And we were cutting away from other events to go watch every single at bat. And we're doing that now, or we're doing that. I think less so with Pujols, but more so now with Aaron Judge. But I want to talk Pujols first. For those of you who are not aware, Albert Pujols became one of four people to join the 700 Home Run Club. It is a very exclusive club with what should be three Hall of Famers in that list. The only one who's not on that list is Barry Bonds, and we can debate that if you want. And I think it's an amazing achievement given the way that his career arc has gone. No, I agree. And you, you talk about debating the Barry Bonds thing. I feel that when it was all going on and you first started hearing about steroids, everyone really wanted to push back and push back. It's not authentic. Uh, these guys were doing it under, you know, under the treatment of all these performance enhancing drugs. But then I think about the guys back in the, the mid 1900s and the 70s, whatever. You know, these guys were basically on speed and, and no one's even considering that a performance enhancing drug in any way. And so I find that interesting, but no matter what, if you're on steroids or not, it still takes an extraordinary amount of talent to hit a 90 whatever mile an hour fastball and to hit it that far that often is extraordinary. I don't think that you can sell them short on that. And they were probably hitting it off of pitchers who were juiced up too. Which, you know, oh, yeah. So there's something to be said for that. It's exciting, man. Baseball's kind of faded into the background of football. And I do agree with what you mentioned, McGuire and Sosa. I do think that they saved baseball in the late 90s. And to kind of see a little bit of excitement and resurgence. You know, baseball's kind of been good for this through my lifetime. The, the second you think that baseball's sort of permanently fading back, they always kind of bring themselves back to the forefront with these sort of things. I think baseball will always have a place in the sports 
watcher's mind at some point because there are old souls and baseball is, I hate to say baseball is an old person's game, but the fan base has continued to get older because the sport has had a hard time evolving and really adapting to, I think, younger people's mind frame. But baseball could have died a lot earlier. And if not for Sosa and McGuire, you're 100% correct about that. As far as performance enhancing drugs are concerned, it's funny when I think about it now, when I was younger, and I think to, to an extent the same for you, we got caught up in the morality of it as if what they were doing was some egregious thing against, it was like tarnishing the integrity of the sport. And what we have seen since that day, and I think Deshaun Watson is a great example, is that the sports actually don't give a shit about morality. They're all about dollars, right? And so it was amazing what we did in terms of putting those players down. Now, there were a lot of players who were unapologetic. And, you know, I think that Roger Clemens is a good example of somebody who just never got it. I wish that he had been a little bit more, taken more ownership over what he did in terms of that. And he tried to throw a bunch of people under the bus. And to Barry Bonds' credit, he was a Hall of Famer before steroids. Like, that was, there was no question about that. But Clemens was on a decline. And there's, there's debate to be made about whether those guys should be in and whether they were Hall of Famers ahead of time. But I think it is funny now when we look back, we were really silly about that thing. And I think when we're looking at Hall of Fame candidacy, those guys should be heavily considered. And they unfortunately, their times are gone. Like they're off the ballot now. And it's sad because Barry Bonds was easily one of the best players to ever play baseball. I, I've said a long time, and I'm not sure if we've talked about it, but I've always taken the stance, taken the stance that we should not be looking at pro athletes or movie stars or musicians for your moral compass. Um, you're not paying Barry Bonds to be a good person. You're paying him to drive in runs. You're not paying Albert Pujols to be a, a, a role model. You're paying him to drive in. I mean, you're not paying Roger Clemens to you know be the perfect picture of manhood and whatever else. You're paying him to strike people out. The professional sports ranks, you know, any sort of, you know, movie stars, musicians, we go on and on and on, full of womanizers, terrible human beings, racists, whatever, you name it, ist, ist, this ist, that ist, but they're not there because of those reasons or not because of those reasons. They're there because they're very talented at what they're being paid to do. Now, is it great if you can find someone who uses that platform to be a role model? Absolutely. Um, those people are very special and I don't think we should take them for granted, but I do think that it's a little excessive i don't know that that's the right word to expect role model type behavior out of all of these guys because that's not what they're paid to do as, as rough and brutal as that sounds it isn't it's funny you mention that because another story in sports has really taken over i think the mainstream newscape or at least it should and you talk about when they're playing like you have guys out there or gals out there and you're paying them to play a sport you're paying them to do a job once they leave sports though, they become regular people and human beings. And a guy who has consistently, in my opinion, kind of shown who he is in other ways, made some major waves because he decided that he wanted to, what seems like potentially steal or defraud a welfare program of a very, very poor state. And that is the gunslinger Brett, Brett Favre. I don't want to necessarily debate what he did with you, but I do want to ask you about Brett Favre because I thought about his legacy and his career and thinking back on it, I do wonder if we give him too much credit for being this ultimate winner. And yes, he was an Iron Man. But really, if you look at the way that he played the game, he might not actually make it in today's game. I wanted to debate that part of it with you. And if you want to get into Brett Favre, the human being, go for it, because there's a lot of material there these days. But I just wanted to bring that up because he has been making waves and people have been 
making judgments based off of his football playing career and not looking at him today as just a civilian. I, I do think it's important to separate the the individual and the athlete a little bit. Now, I'm not saying that the, the type of person they are doesn't impact my opinion of them because it does. But I just mean, I, I feel like the way it should be is you should keep those things reasonably separate to some degree. Now, if you break the law, that's a different story, um, I guess. But uh, talking about Brett Favre, the football player, when you talk about him and, and the way he plays the game, the first person that pops into my mind is Peyton Manning and how Brett Favre is basically the complete opposite of Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning is like the scientist, right? The professor, studies the game, a student of the game, extremely fundamentally sound, relies on precision, and Brett Favre relies on gut instinct. I mean, that was his guiding light, right? Was his just sort of gut feeling about things. And I had the privilege of sitting in a uh, a little coach's clinic with a guy who years ago was Brett Favre's quarterback's coach in Green Bay. And he told a story about how he was showing some film and they were they weren't even talking about quarterback play they were talking about like the inside zone run game or some shit. and a coach raises his hand and says hey can you explain to me why the quarterback sometimes he opens to the handoff sometimes he reverses out to the handoff but it's the same play and he goes well that's just uh that's just part of the adventure of coaching number four you know i mean he just he was a guy that just did whatever he wanted. He did something that I don't think anyone else has really been capable of, and that's playing the game his way. He broke all the, the fundamental rules of the quarterback position and found a way to be great at it. But during his time of breaking touchdown records, I think he also probably led the league in interceptions. If I'm not, I don't know off the top of my head. I feel like I've heard that before. But you're right. I don't know. I think the game is so precise right now that a guy like him that is uh just flies by the seat of his pants it, it kind of ad libs as he goes would really struggle in today's precision era i mean we have that guy today it's Jameis winston that's basically who he is today and it's funny because when you look at the metrics that's basically what brett Favre was it's just the game was a lot different back then and i had somebody debate me on what who brett Favre was more like today and they said i think he's carson wentz and Tell me if this is an, hold on. Tell me if this is an accurate statement. I said, listen, Brett Favre knew what he was doing was a bad idea. He could tell that this was going to be a tight throw. He's going to have to make this and It's a very high risk, high reward kind of a situation. And he knew what he was doing. When he threw it, it was kind of like, well, here it goes. This may be a bad idea. Carson Wentz doesn't actually know when anything is a bad idea. And he just does stuff and it never works out. And I think that that's the difference between the two of them. And I think it is funny to think about Brett Favre today because everybody loved how much of a gunslinger he was, and gunslinger does not work today. You're right, but someone I think who plays the game similarly to how Favre played is Pat Mahomes. Yes. I think he plays the game in a, in a similar way. The difference is, though, he's much more talented than Brett Favre was, and he's able to get himself out of some sticky situations with his athletic ability. Yeah, he makes some of the sidearm, no-look, crazy throws, and does shit that you can't explain that you can't you couldn't even teach someone how to do it but you know we've seen it though it, it's sort of a they ride that roller coaster a little bit the chiefs do of him sort of being that gunslinger going rogue a little bit um but he's talented enough that you can't really take that away from him because it's what makes him so special when when it goes right 
I will be interested to see how that evolves and grows as he gets older because Gunslinger doesn't age well. And Mahomes right now, as you said, his talent disparity is getting him by in a lot of ways. And I will be interested to see how that goes. I think that's a good segue to the NFL week that was. And I know that you said you weren't able to watch as much as you would have liked. So we're going to go through some of these things here. And I think you'll be able to to chime in when you want to. But I would say the game of the week, and you could even consider it a game for the ages, was Bills-Dolphins. Coming into the week, the Dolphins had a stiff test. They had the Bills come in here. Now, I need to give you some credit, buddy, because you did say that the weather was going to be a factor. And on the field, it was something like 105 degrees to the point that Bills Mafia was citing OSHA regulations. Yeah, I, I thought it was going to be ugly, and it was. It was an ugly game. It was tight. The, really, the difference came down to the Dolphins won instead of the Bills, I guess. I mean, it, it went about the way I, I imagined it would, but you got to give the Dolphins credit. First-year head coach, Mike McDaniel, keeps it rolling. Uh, I, you know, we've I've shared some of the videos with you of the, the tales of his tactics and how he sort of tries to break the mold and go the opposite direction. And, and I, I don't disagree with his logic. His logic is you've been taught how to do this this way, and defenses have been taught to defend you doing it this way. So let's do it a different way. And, and hey, and and defenses and whoever else, other coaches, they'll catch up eventually. But I mean, that's innovation, right? And we've seen it happen time and time again, even in our lifetimes, and in football especially. Football's evolved so quickly. The Bills will be fine. They'll they'll they will be fine. This is a great win for the Dolphins. I'm very interested to see how they carry this into you know will there be a hangover from the big win going into uh week four or is this just you know they're just going to keep the ball rolling i'll be very curious to see even though it's a big win i'm still not sold i mean i'm, I'm cautiously optimistic about the dolphins great start not sold yet here's what i took away from the game because i did actually watch a vast majority of this game live now the weather did have a lot to do with it the heat and I think that that is, it doesn't take away from the Dolphins win, but a couple of observations that I made. First of all, I was actually, I came away more impressed with the Buffalo Bills in a loss than I would have had they blown the doors off of them. Because despite everything that happened, and you didn't get to see it, but they were gassed at the end. Josh, Josh Allen had 63 pass attempts and they ran like almost 100 offensive plays. That's a lot, especially in that particular environment and with the weather and everything. And they still were a Josh Allen missed pass away from potentially winning the game. And you could tell he was gassed. Stephon Diggs was gassed. The entire offensive line was gassed. And the Bills came without five defensive starters. And almost all of them were in the secondary. So the Dolphins had a lot of things go their way. At the end of the game, it was third and 11 from the one yard line and McDaniel passed. And to me, that was a rookie head coaching mistake because at that point, you're not, it's it's too much of a risk to try and and really get out of that situation. And you're giving a lot, you're putting a lot of pressure on Tua doing it that way. And then what ended up happening was something that was just mind-blowingly funny. And it was the the butt punt. And I don't know if you saw that or not, but it was amazing. The, the announcer said they should take a safety here and kick from a little bit further back and give the Bills a short, you know, a longer field. Yes, you're giving up points, but the punter kicked the ball directly into the ass of his blocker and the ball went out of the end zone in the back for a safety, which actually ended up potentially winning them the game. 
but that was a poorly managed drive at the end of the game. And those are the types of things that I want to see later in the season managed a little bit better. And I'm sure that they will do that. But sometimes when you zig where others zag, it goes against conventional wisdom, it works. But thankfully in this case, it did work for them. But I, I really think that the Dolphins are gonna need to show me that in a tougher environment because it's not gonna be 100 degrees on the field in the playoffs. No, and the Bills are going to be fine. Uh, yeah. If you're Sean McDermott, you're almost coming out of this. The coaches will never admit this, but they're feeling themselves a little bit after blowing the doors off the Titans last week. You're almost like, okay, we need a little bit of a reality check here, you know, especially early in the season. And, and this game is not going to have any bearing, I don't think, on home field advantage or anything like that, because I, I do think the Dolphins will ultimately, it, it'll even out for them and the Bills are going to be fine. But you, you kind of want early in the year when you've gotten off to a decent start, you want a reason to kind of bring your team back to reality a little bit and have shit. I mean, it's hard to walk into a practice after beating somebody the way they beat the Titans and find a lot of shit wrong on film that you can coach up. Now, a game like this, though, you're like, all right, now we can get back to coaching. Now we can go out there and be like, you know what, Stefan Diggs, you were dogging on this play. You ran this route wrong. You didn't block for shit on this play. And, you know, you can't do that after what they did two weeks ago. So coaches like this sort of thing when you know you have a good team because you bring them back down to earth a little bit. And like I said, in my opinion, the verdict's still out on the Dolphins. The exact antithesis of that was Sunday Night Football, Broncos, Niners. Brad, I, I can't even begin to describe to you how shitty this football game was. 11 to 10. And that included Jimmy G stepping out the back of the end zone. The Broncos have been a part of some of the worst football games this year that I've ever seen. It's been terrible. Russell Wilson, man, like, is he a fraud? What is, I, I don't know. I mean, I know they have a first year head coach and he's got to figure some shit out, but is Russ just past his prime? Is he expired? <laughs> you know, like, I, I have no idea, but I saw that score. That's terrible. That's a baseball score. It's also offensive. I mean, it's 11 to 10 in prime time. And the thing about it is the Broncos are two and one and they have scored 16, 16 and 11 with Russell Wilson, who has been an MVP candidate for the last, what, five or six years when he's not hurt. And I think it is more of a coaching issue than a Russ issue, although I am on record somewhere in the cosmos saying that I don't think Russ is the guy that you trade for and all of a sudden your fortunes change. I think that some things need to go right for him in order to be successful. And Nathaniel Hackett, I have to ask you, because John Elway said he interviewed well. But what did you ask him in the interview? Because what I've seen so far is terrible coaching, and he actually took an L this week by hiring somebody to help him with time management. I have never heard of that before. Now, I tell you what, John Elway, great player, all-time great, piss-poor executive. Awful. Absolutely piss-poor executive. If it weren't for Peyton Manning, Yes. I mean, <laughs> where would they be right now? I mean, if it was not for Peyton Manning, they would have nothing to show for his tenure at all. He's He's got a history of, yeah, poor head coaching hires. His decision-making when it comes to quarterback signings has been absolutely absurd. Absolutely absurd. For somebody that's so familiar with the position, and I get the game has changed, but you have the ear of probably anybody you want in the football world where you could pick up the phone and call, hey, tell me about this guy. Tell me about that guy. Give me your opinion on this guy. And these are the, the dudes that you're rolling out. Yeah, we have Russell Wilson. I think they were hoping for sort of a round two of the Peyton Manning thing, maybe. But his draft choices at the quarterback position, terrible. Some of his goofy free agent signings up until this one, you can't blame him for getting Russ. But some of the others, absolutely awful. 
Who was the coach of those Broncos teams when Manning, when they won a Super Bowl? Was it John Fox? No, I could, I don't, well, you know what? It could be. I can't remember. I don't, I don't feel like it was. I feel like I can see the guy's freaking face. Who was the dude that the, was it Vic Fangio? No, that was the recent guy. That, that the guy who sounds like he should be Vic fucking Fangio. Yeah, I feel like I can see the guy's face, but I, I can't. I can't think of it either. Call his name. But on the other side of that game, the Niners come away with a loss. And Jimmy G, like I said, stepping out of the end zone. Most people likened it to Dan Ovlosky running out of the back of the end zone on prime time. I just think it was one of those situations that actually helped the Niners because they were in a bad situation. They gave the ball back and they were still in the game. Dan Ovlosky was on an 0-16 team and ran about 17 yards in the back of the end zone. This was a little bit different. It was just terrible game if you're the nfl in in terms of prime time like especially with star power on both sides like you don't want to see that ever and that's what's tough is when you made this schedule five six months ago however long it was you were probably like this is a good one this is gonna be a great you know probably two teams that are in contention in their division which they are but god the product that ended up on the field <laughs> was just terrible just awful and speaking of awful, the New England Patriots held their own against the Ravens this week, but when it comes down to what happens next, I mean, Mac Jones flops during the game, throws three picks, and gets hurt at the end of the game. But on the other side of that game, is Lamar Jackson the best player in the league? Is that hyperbole? I, I don't know if it's hyperbole. It's so tough because I think there's a lot of different guys out there who bring different elements to their teams that you could consider great or irreplaceable. I feel like he's the most dynamic player that we have seen since like Michael Vick, mm -hmm. right? And he's probably a better passer than Michael Vick was, which that was kind of always the the knock on him, right? The, the, I mean, he's just downright explosive. The guy is a playmaker. He's exciting to watch, which is what you want to see. And, and he has the benefit of being drafted by a very great and well-ran organization. And, and I think that's honestly the, the trick these days is to to be don't be so good that you get drafted by the Jets or the Browns or, yes. or someone like that be just good enough that you get drafted late in the first round by a team that actually knows what the fuck they're doing um, and is well ran and can put some pieces around you but I, I love watching the guy play I don't know how long he's going to be able to play the way he plays just because he's a football player that's what I love about him he's a football player first quarterback second now the coaching staff probably hates that yes because they're afraid it's going to get him in trouble and get him banged up but as just a fan you love seeing it and I don't think it's out of line to say that he may be the best player in the league but I, I, I do feel that like that's a really subjective type of thing oh it totally is I think the liability for that team though is the defense because 26 points to Mac Jones and a bunch of nobodies can't be doing that and I think they're going to have to score a lot in order to win and I mean think about what the Dolphins had to do to beat Lamar they had to have an epic comeback to beat Lamar so that tells you how talented that offense can be and I think that they're actually trending in the right direction it was a it was a really solid win for them and the Patriots had some chances they kept it close but you cannot turn the ball over three or four times and win the football game you just can't do it no and, and I don't want to, to stroke Belichick too much but Look at what he's doing with what he has. There is not a lot of talent on that football no. team at all. And and they've been in every game they've played. And that's coaching. Uh, you don't just show up and, I mean, look at what happened to, you know, the, the Titans probably. The Titans absolutely have more talent on their roster than the Patriots do. And they went and got the doors blown off of them by the Bills, right? I mean, Belichick's showing up every week with, an, with the lesser talented team, and he's in every game. 
uh, and and that's a testament to him and what he's capable of. And, and then to sit here and take it a, a one step further, you know, let's look at the total opposite right now. Let's drive down the road a little bit and look at the Eagles. That's a they're an extraordinarily extraordinarily talented team, young talent. And I think that you know, I don't. Know, maybe you think some may think they're the best team in the league. I struggle with this because I see a lot of takes that say if you aren't talking about Jalen Hurts in the MVP conversation, you're not having the right one. And if you're not thinking of the Eagles as a true Super Bowl contender, then you don't know football. But I'm still not sold on the Eagles just yet. And I don't know why. And I, I don't know if it's because you have an unproven head coach with a relatively unproven quarterback, a talented quarterback, but they haven't, I don't know, like, how much do we know about their schedule? They played the Commanders this week. Who cares? The Commanders are terrible. They had two points heading into the late, late fourth quarter, like abysmally bad. The Vikings, I mean, that could be a big win. We don't know. Kirk Cousins can't seem to get it up on in prime time. And I can't even remember who they played in week one. So the Lions, oh, right. they barely escaped my Detroit Lions in yeah. week one. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I truly don't know, but I, all I do know is that starting 3-0 is better than starting any other way. And that division, I think, is easily theirs to take at this point, if the Cow unless the Cowboys continue to win with Cooper Rush. But they seem to right now have an advantage. Yeah, so they, they play the, I think they play the Jags this week. So I think that'll give us some answers. Are the Jags for real? I don't know, but maybe we'll see. And then the NFC East is trash. Total trash. Hot fucking garbage. <laughs> the NFC East. Now, what this is what used to be one of the, it, I mean, almost hands down the best division in football for a long time. Mm-hmm. Every year, two teams, two teams in the playoffs. And then, the, I mean, sometimes three, right? They get both wildcard spots out of the NFC East. And, and right now, hot fucking garbage. So bad. That game last night between the Giants and the Cowboys, again, Another terrible primetime game that, yes, and I'm sure a million people watched it because it was the New York Giants and the Dallas Cowboys, but you talk about a poor display of the game of football. Holy shit. I mean, ugh. I mean, not the, don't get me wrong. I'm not on Monday Night Football, right? I, but Jesus, absolute trash. Cowboys are going to talk themselves into a quarterback controversy, aren't they? You can't. The guy's winning games, right? I mm-hmm. guess that's that's the metric. Win football games. Maybe that's how Dak got the job, <laughs> right? When you go back, it, it is. But Cooper Rush is in his like 28th season or something like that as a as a known backup. It's just amazing to me, though. I'm baffled by the Cowboys because how do you win two games in a row with Cooper Rush as your quarterback? One of which beating the Super Bowl runner-up last year, who finally got off the Schneid this week against the Jets. But and then Jerry's out here making comments, and I'm like, I cannot wait for week eight, nine, or 10, and Jerry's out here telling us that he's not sure who the quarterback of the future is of the Dallas Cowboys, and then Dak is going to end up a Patriot. That's the most Jerry Jones thing I can think of. Uh, He would probably have it no other way. I think he lives for this sort of controversy, especially when he's the one that holds the power. I think that's what he's about. Hey, Cooper Rush, got to give it to the guys. Won a couple games. You know, they beat the Bengals last week, but the Bengals beat themselves. Finally, this week, they put together two good halves of football, but week one, week two, they didn't start playing until the, the third quarter. Uh, you know, you beat the Giants. Daniel Jones, probably, arguably, one of the two or three worst quarterbacks in the league. And you still didn't win convincingly. It was a ball game late. Mm-hmm. You know, if the Eagles do not win that division, it's going to, I don't know. The Eagles are hands down the best team in that division. Are they the best team in the league? Too early to tell. Everyone else in that league's trash. 
not a stat of the week, but coming into this week for Joe Burrow, he'd been sacked 13 times, and he was on pace to be sacked 111 times this year. And remember, they upgraded their offensive line. Just want to point that out there. Not a stat of the week, but only two times he got sacked this week, so that average is coming down. He's only on pace for 85 now. That's like some that's some David Carr shit. Oh, remember yeah. David Carr, when he played for the Texans, just got killed the whole time. Big props to that guy, because that, that could not have been fun. But you mentioned the Jags, and I have to say, and this is probably going to be hyperbole, to me, this was the most impressive win of the week. And I get that Justin Herbert probably shouldn't have been playing, but to travel to a West Coast squad who we know is good and has talent and to just shellack them in their place by four touchdowns, I feel like the Jags have kind of arrived and they are going to get a stiff test that we're going to get to later. But I, this is a completely different football team, and it's so painfully obvious that Urban Meyer didn't know what the hell he was doing. Well, I saw something the other day, and I feel bad because I should know this man's name, but whoever the hell the Jags coaches, he tied Urban Meyer, either tied or passed him for the fifth most victories of all Jaguars head coaches, and he's only coached three games <laughs> or something, which is outstanding. I love to see that kind of shit because fuck Urban Meyer. But no, the Jags are a team that I think is easy to root for just as a because they don't have much of a local fan base, which is crazy because Florida, they're college football crazy, high school football crazy. They, they got two pro teams, and it, I, I don't, nobody goes to the fucking games. You know, the Jaguars will probably ultimately end up being the London Jaguars here in the next 10 years, but they're kind of a team that I think everyone likes to rally behind a little, and they're young, young talent, Trevor Lawrence. And I think it's fun if you see a guy like Trevor Lawrence, who was sort of the king of the castle at Clemson, had a lot of success, won a national championship. He gets humbled a little bit, but stays the course. And if you see him sort of resurrect that franchise, and that's a little extreme, but bring some winning back to Jacksonville and have some success, uh, he seems like a fairly solid dude, and so I'm happy for him in that regard. The Colts, I'm a Colts fan. The Colts are, have been dog shit so far, so hey, I'm all about the Jags. Texans don't have enough offense to get it done in that in that division, and the Titans are kind of a hot mess right now. Hey, in the mix, one and two, three weeks in, you're still in the mix, baby, so uh, you know what? But you want to know something funny? The Jaguars coach is Doug Peterson, and you gave away my stat of the week. Thankfully, I have more in the hopper but was, uh, was it was it the urban meyer stat was, was that it yes, yes oh no yes oh i feel terrible yes. i was like there's no way no Shit. i've got i've got another one in the hopper here so uh don't you worry about that i always have to have a few just in case something like this happens but last thing about the nfl week we have one winless team in the league and i have to ask you a fundamental question Josh McDaniels goes from New England, where we know he is a very successful coordinator. This is his second head coaching job. He gets handed a playoff team. And maybe the, the Raiders overachieved last year, but they were a playoff team with what they had. They trade for Devontae Adams, and they're appreciably worse than they were last year. Is this a Josh McDaniels problem? Because he's already having closed-door meetings with Mark Davis, which is terrifying as shit with that haircut. And I feel like... Josh McDaniels could be on the hot seat three games into a brand new head coaching stint because he was given a more talented team theoretically than what he inherited. So I'm going to start this off by saying that Mark Davis looks like if Donald Trump was in a bad house fire and had his skin melted to his body. Uh, I would not want to sit in those meetings either. It would feel like a meeting with someone who is like half alive. Is it a Josh McDaniels problem? I don't know. I have a feeling that the issue there is he, he was under Belichick for so long that he's kind of got in his brain that this is how we do things. 
But as we've seen time and time and time again, there's only one fucking guy that gets away with doing things that way, and it's Bill Belichick. All his assistants have gone other places, taken head coaching jobs, and have not been able to uh, drum up the same success. I think part of it is is that he has the respect of the players, Belichick does, yes. where they're not going to question him. These other guys go in preaching the same narrative, but they don't have the resume to back it up, per se. And I think that that's where the, the sort of struggle comes up. Is he on the hot seat? I don't think so. He'll definitely get the season. I don't think he'll get fired mid unless they literally go, you know, Owen, they're like 0 and 12 or something. Maybe they'll pull the trigger, but I don't think that's going to happen. They'll win some games or whatever, but I think he gets beyond this year. Now, that's my opinion. Imagine waking up and being Mark Davis and choosing that haircut, specifically going to a barber or whoever he gets to cut his hair. It is rumored that he travels like 400 miles to get this haircut. But imagine choosing that haircut, the amount of crazy that has to exist to get up and say to yourself, I look great with whatever that haircut is. 400 miles? That's what Where I Where is read. he going? Is he go is he flying like across the country and like to uh, to have some blind person cut his hair? Like I it's awful. This is what happens when you have so much disposable income. You can go do things like this. Somebody told me once that he looks like a spoon. And I was like, I mean, that's not a bad, bad way to look at it. That spoon haircut that he's got there where it's like somebody took a spoon on top of his head and just like cut around it. And I think he thinks he looks hot. Like, I really think that he believes that that's a sexy look because somebody out there has a kink of whatever the fuck that is. Oh, well, when you have that kind of money, you're going to be surrounded by beautiful women that are going to tell you whatever you want to hear, right? Absolutely. But holy crap, man, I, I wish I had enough money to be that ugly <laughs> and not give a shit. We would be doing the show from somewhere else than what we're doing right now if we had that exactly. kind of money. I will tell you that right now. Exactly. But what a strange, strange dude. I will say, though, if there is a guy in a franchise who would pull the trigger on a brand new head coach in the first year before the season's over, it is the Raiders. And they have high, lofty expectations for that franchise, but really haven't done squat for a really, really long time, if you think about it. So let's move on to college, you know, pure, wholesome college. We don't have any of this weirdness like Mark Davis and all this. I'm going to make a statement, two statements. Tennessee is the dark horse to make the playoff, and Hendon Hooker right now is the favorite for the Heisman. And I'll say it again until the end of time, I really wish Virginia Tech could get guys like that to walk into their locker room in recruiting. So I agree. Tennessee, new dark horse. I think that they are for sure at least the third best team in the SEC. Don't quite count out Kentucky yet. Hendon Hooker, he's he's done an outstanding job to this point, but I think that the Heisman is CJ Stroud's to lose right now, is my opinion. And I'm not an Ohio State guy. I'm not a CJ Stroud guy. I just think that he's it's kind of like we talk about the preseason rankings. He sort of started at the top, and I think it's his until someone takes it from him. I don't disagree, but I think that he is playing so dynamically with a team that really wasn't supposed to be where they are right now. And it's very, very early. Don't get me wrong. But I've always seen Tennessee Tennessee the last 20 years or so, like Texas. We're back, right? We're going to get that Philip Fulmer swagger back. And they haven't had the success to go along with it. And they've had 2-0, 3-0 starts, and you've kind of felt like, all right, are the Volunteers back? Are they going to challenge in the SEC? And they always falter. And it's this kind of game that always seems to get them. And Florida seems to be Tennessee, or what ha Tennessee has been lately. They have a really dynamic quarterback who seems to have an issue getting the, the, the ball into the end zone. But Tennessee took care of business. It was close early. 
but they they really ran away with the game late and i felt like this is a really solid and well coached football team no they are uh it's jeremy pruitt right still yeah. in tennessee and he's doing a great job and i do agree it's very similar to texas like we're back we're back i mean you have a fan base it's just like dying to be relevant again and, and they are you got to give them credit and they're one of those programs that college football is better when they are in the picture um i think there's probably like 10 of those programs out there that w when they're good college football's good and tennessee is one of them i'm sorry it is not jeremy pruitt it is josh heupel i forgot about oh, that shit. yeah well either way josh heupel didn't he oklahoma was he oklahoma did he win a heisman I can't remember. Quarterback there, maybe? Yeah, I thought he was a quarterback. That name yeah. sounds familiar, like maybe when I was in college. But So Tennessee is for real. And I think the most exciting game of the week that I think has little implications in terms of the, the national spotlight, I think, is Clemson and Wake Forest. I was really rooting hard for Wake Forest because it's such a small school. The, the crowd brang it. I thought the game was exciting, obviously goes into overtime. But the ACC seems to have four or five schools now that are peaking at or in the rankings right now. And, you know, Clemson obviously comes away with the victory and they scored a lot of points. But is it possible that the ACC is not just Clemson's to run away with this time? No, I don't think so. I, I, honestly, I think that, um, and gosh, it kills me that I can't. Uh, the kid's got a kind of a complicated last name, right? The Clemson quarterback. DJ Uwe Ungalale. Yeah. He hasn't been great. No. And, yeah. Big shoes to fill once Trevor Lawrence left. But he has not been what they need him to be. I do think that they are suffering more than they thought they would from the loss of uh old boy that went to Oklahoma, which again kills me. I can't recall his name. Uh, the D coordinator. It's not the head coach. Oh, of Venables. Oklahoma. Yes, yeah, yeah. Venables. Brett Venables. And so I, I do think that that's hitting them harder than maybe... I, I, coaches know. Like, I'm sure that... Dabo knew that was going to be a big loss to to their staff, but fans just think you could plug and play, and that's just not how it goes. I, I don't think that it, Clemson's going to run away with it. I thought that they had their hands full with Wake Forest. Wake Forest probably should have won that game. Yes. Uh, they played they played well enough to win. And, and honestly, I think there's some other teams in the ACC that are just going to get better as the year goes on. Miami struggled, but they're well coached. Uh, they're going to be the type of team down the stretch that's capable of sneaking up on a team like this. Carolina's not bad. They have an explosive offense. Duke's been okay. I mean, there's plenty of above average teams that if you have a bad week can come up and get you. You bring up a good point about Miami because obviously I, li I listen to a lot of Lebertard and they talk about Miami a lot. And Cristobal is under fire there because of the start. Losing to Middle Tennessee State at home is not a good look, but you have to give it a little bit of time and it's going to take a little bit of time. But I wanted to ask you something because I saw a stat that I, I forgot about Virginia Tech-wise. Frank Beamer, they asked, how many seasons did it take for him to get to or win his first bowl game or something like that? I think it was gets his first bowl game. And it was seven seasons. They didn't make a bowl game for seven seasons. They stuck with him, and then we got the results that we got where he finally caught on there. That would never happen today. But I think that consistency, you talked about Clemson, like the consistency of having the same guys coaching, it, it matters right? You can continue to build a culture there. And I feel like in today's game, we don't allow for that. I mean, there's obvious times where you need to get rid of a guy because the players aren't responding. You're not getting the recruits or whatever. But I think you have to give coaches a little bit of time. I think Cristobal needs three or four seasons to figure out if he's really going to be able to make it to put his stamp on the program. But we're not allowing that. And I do wonder if some of these programs that are constantly trying to find their mojo are falling victim to the next best thing, the next best thing, and they're not giving themselves what they truly need, which is, again, 
consistency and culture to make it back. Well, what it is, you have a lot of, I mean, the youthful, the young, immediate gratification generation has gotten older. Uh, they've gotten, now they're kind of, they're in the midst of adulthood. We all grew up with technology where if we wanted something, we had it now. And, and they have the money to pay for whatever they want. And now some of them are boosters at these big schools and they throw their money around. And, and sadly, it, it's powerful and it means something to these places. And you have some guy that walks in and says, hey, I give you guys $10 million a year in donations. Fire this motherfucker right now or I'm not going to give you another penny. And sadly, that, that gets the job done most times. Or you have someone that comes in and they're willing to pay the buyout, whatever it is. That's how bad they want that person out. And I would never, ever want to coach in that environment. I mean, I don't know. I say that, but at the same time, like, you're still, I mean, you're still going to walk away a millionaire. So m maybe I'm stupid for saying that. But I mean, shit, dude. Like, all you got to do is piss off the wrong guy or lose a couple games at a place like a Miami or a Texas or wherever, and, and you've got the, the deep pockets coming in to, to oust you. When do you want me to leave, and out which door would you like me to leave? <laughs> You're right, man. That's Big Ed, man. Ed Ogeron, he had it figured out. I gotta give that... I, we don't give that guy enough credit. Everyone kind of looks at him and thinks he's kind of... Maybe they don't think he's as intelligent as he is just because the way he talks and everything else. He's probably the smartest guy in the room. He is walking around with a complete smoke show right now, and he's putting his life out on Twitter. It's amazing. He's a great, great follow on social media. But like I said, girlfriend, wife, I don't even know who, absolute smoke show. So Ed Orgeron is doing just fine with his $17 million and literally zero responsibility. It's absolutely wonderful. Now, you mentioned Brett Venables, and he is at Oklahoma, and Oklahoma had what I call that laws. I did not realize that Kansas State, a school that nobody thinks about unless you actually went there or have some ties, played or plays Oklahoma super well. And they got a huge victory. And I was just like, all of a sudden now, you have Kansas State in the AP at 25, Kansas receiving votes right behind them. Where the fuck are we? So Kansas State being in the picture isn't unprecedented. Because like, and I and I, I hope I have the name right. Was it Bill Snyder? It was there for a really long time. Old guy. Yes. He was there back in the day. Came back. Came back. Yes. Uh -huh. And sort of got him back on track. And they they beat some good teams, man, in his tenure. Uh, even the second time around. And I mean, he brought them back to respectability. Yes. While he was there, so like this isn't unprecedented for Kansas State, but like for Kansas, absolutely. Now, am I sold on them? You know, I'm not. I told you, I'm not. Uh, but at the same time, it's kind of, it, this is exciting. This is what college football is about, right? The state of Kansas right now is, is a college football juggernaut that we can all get excited about for another couple weeks until it goes up in flames. I think people need to realize that Kansas football was seen as such a mockery of the sport because they had how, what, like four conference wins in like a seven or eight year span, something like that. Like even Les Miles, national champion Les Miles, couldn't bring that program back. Now, there's a lot of other things Les Miles is and, and did, but my point being is it took a lot to get this program back to where it was. And for them to have this kind of a start to the point where there are fights on the sidelines, like Houston, a pretty well-coached team and usually a good team, a team that we included in our 64, is infighting. And they're playing the Kansas Jayhawks in football. And that is not something we have seen. And I, I agree with you. I think that this is a cool thing. I would love for it to last. And I wasn't saying that Kansas State was irrelevant. It's just the state of Kansas in terms of football powerhouses 
they haven't really been in that national spotlight for a while. And this was a signature win for Kansas State against a, a good team in Oklahoma. And Oklahoma was kind of, you know, sitting around that playoff hunt now. And I'm, I'm, I want all these teams to continue to rise, but they obviously all can't win. And there's a lot of undefeated teams kind of still lurking about. I think that where we are now is we know Georgia's good and they struggled a little bit this week, but hey, whatever. And then Alabama, by the way, Alabama had, Vanderbilt scored their first points at Alabama in something like 15 years. It was some crazy thing like that. Like they, they kicked a field goal and that was the first points they've scored at Alabama in some insane amount of time. And then they lost 55 to three. So speaking of undefeated teams, there's one, I, I've seen a couple of videos pop up about this team, and it's kind of caught my eye. So Ole Miss, Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss. Now, so first, they've kind of been on the radar because he's been calling out the fans a little bit for not being engaged or showing up or leaving at halftime. But think about this. I saw someone mention that, hey, like when Lane Kiffin got fired from USC, I, I thought he'd never coach again. And honestly, I, I couldn't stand the guy. That's what I heard someone say. He said, but now I almost find him like endearing. And I agree, man. When he was getting fired from USC and the Raiders and all that shit, Tennessee, like he goes to Alabama, like gets his career resurrected by being the uh, offensive coordinator for Nick Saban, gets the Ole Miss job. And he does, man. It's like, I don't know if he's like wisened up in his old age and sort of like come to terms with who he is and what he's capable of and what this is about. But I'm rooting for him, dude. I, I would love to see Ole Miss like contend to win an ACC champ, or excuse me, SEC championship or the ACC. Fuck, win them both. Never know. All right, yeah. With the way things are going, you never know. Uh, that was I was gonna piggyback that on your Kansas thing. I was like, hey, you know what? They probably sense what's happening, and they know that like right now their value in all this is shit because they're just a basketball school, and maybe they're like, we better get this football thing rolling a little bit, or we're gonna be left out in the cold. I mean, because they'd probably be, they would have probably been invited to the Big Ten by now if they had a good football program, just geography wise and everything else. It's a good fit. But anyways, back to undefeated teams, man. I'm on the Ole Miss bandwagon. Get Lane rolling. I think you're right about Lane Kiffin. I've definitely sensed that he has grown up a little bit, and I think it's really being humbled because he was handed a lot of jobs very early on in his career. He was that young gun coach that was coming up, but he also had the pedigree because Monty was his dad, right? So you get, I think you get the benefit of the doubt in those situations, and he continued to seem to fail upward. And he had that one year at Tennessee. He takes the USC job. I think they fired him on the tarmac. And then Alabama, Saban leaves him. The bus leaves him after the national championship game. And then he gets, what did he go? Florida Atlantic, I think. He was a, a really small school. Yeah, yeah, FAU. And he was good there. Kicking major ass there. And I think what ends up happening, and I can't remember exactly how my friend put it, but when you make it to the top, on the way down, you see all the people that you kicked on the way up. And I think that that's kind of what happened to him is he had a huge falling. I mean, think about how many jobs he got fired from. The Raiders, he left Tennessee. They'll never accept him again. USC, I mean, he got fired from some pretty great jobs that, as you pointed out last week, a lot of guys would quit their day jobs to have even for one day. And so when you see him come back and seems to be doing it the right way, I mean, their offense is fun. Remember Matt Corral last year was great until he got hurt and it was a dynamic offense. And I think that they're a rising team because he's putting it all together and they seem to be buying into him. But I think the fascinating thing about him is that he coached for Saban and he's got all this dirt on Saban. He has to have it. Oh man, I saw something, um, a guy, again, another, it was probably TikTok or something. He's like, hey, my buddy was a GA in Alabama when Kiffin was there. And he said that he'd walk into a meeting, a full staff meeting, 10 minutes late, sit down in his little chair 
and he'd be fucking just spinning in his chair. Like he said, Saban could be pissed and just going on, and and Kiffin would just be. Just like not a care in the world, man. Just twirling in his chair, walks in late. He's like, Saban would never say a word to him. He'd never call him out or chew his ass, at least not in front of everybody else, I guess. And then he just left him at the national championship game after they left. That's how he gets. (laughs) Nick Saban is a vindictive motherfucker. Like, do not make it. Do not think that Nick Saban will not do that if he wants to. So, like, he was just saving it up, saving it up, saving it up. And then that moment, the bus just friggin' leaves Lane Kiffin there. But they are exciting. Now, you mentioned realignment, and this is a good segue to to this story because I do think you're right. I think that these schools now are looking at the landscape, and some schools feel very solid in where they are, but we don't know what's coming. I mean, you and I predicted there being this huge shift or uh, paradigm shift with all this where they're going to break off major college football. And so how many schools want to get left out from that? Not a lot. And Kansas, Kansas State, schools like that, that maybe are on the fringe because they don't have a great football program. They're thinking about this because it's it's not that far away. It's only a couple of years down the road. And you said, I think in five years, we're going to have it. We're going to know what this new shift in college football is. And I mean, even think about schools like Miami, this loss. I mean, they maybe are going to be fine in the short term, but they're thinking about this too. They want to be a national player and they want to be seen as as that viable viable candidate for this realignment. And then you have Arizona State. Okay, so Arizona State hires Herm Edwards. Now, we all know Herm Edwards because you play to win the game. A mediocre head coach for the Jets, but a, you know, he's a kind of guy I can understand back in the day players want to play for. He's not He's not a player's coach. He's tough, but he'll stand up for his guys. He's if you bought if you bought Tony Dungy on Wish. Yes. Oh yes, that's a great Herm Edwards. Great. That is the title of the episode right there. So he goes to Arizona State, and I thought immediately he looked way out of place. Like he had no clue what was going on. Come to find out, he got end zoned last week. He got fired in the end zone last week. Yes. We thought the tarmac was bad. He didn't even get up the field. Have you seen the video? Because the video is wild. Uh, I've seen it. I mean, it, it's just so awkward. It's so awkward. I mean, I wonder if it's, I mean, I'm sure it's happened at some bullshit high school somewhere, but the coach in week three doesn't even make it to the locker room. Like, I can't imagine. For weeks in 2020, I asked the Jets to fire Adam Gase at halftime during the halftime ceremony. He was that terrible of a head coach. I didn't think it would actually happen. He deserved, Adam Gase deserved to be fired. Like someone should have walked down in the middle of the game just to the sideline and just taken his headset and said, right, go have a seat somewhere, buddy. You're done. Just, he was terrible. Just a veritable shit wagon is what the Jets were for two years. And Peyton Manning got him that head coaching job. I thought I heard something about that. And I don't know the, the details, but back to Herm, I thought that was kind of a puzzling hire in the first place. Cause like it, it would have made more sense at like a Kansas, like somewhere that you were really trying to drag out of the basement. Like, Hey, let's just bring some stability. Let's get a guy in here that knows football. It's going to make our, you know, it's going to be one of those guys. that's like, let's turn men into men, you know, type of thing. Uh, Arizona state wasn't in the basement. I mean, they're, they're not like a, bottom of the barrel program and and so i thought that was a really bizarre hire in the first place i have a lot of respect for herm edwards but it just didn't make sense i i I don't think this day and age that you can get a guy like that to relate to the modern day college athlete i think it had even less to do with that and and so much more to do with the fact that he didn't really care about ncaa regulations didn't care to know them become familiar with them and people had to babysit him 
to the point that they're like, you can't do that, Herm. You've got to follow this rule and follow that rule. And we all know that that teams are, you know, programs are cutting corners here or there and all that, but you can't just be completely oblivious to it. And then you add on the fact, as you said, not being able to relate, but the story that's been coming out and I haven't seen enough proof or good journalism on it to really know if it's true, but apparently staff members were leaking information to the opposition to get him fired. That can't be that true, can it? And we need to know a little bit more before we make a judgment, but if that is true, that's fucking wild. Yeah, that's bizarre. The the one aspect of it that doesn't surprise me is all these guys, these coaches, they all know each other. They're all connected. They coach with somebody somewhere. Or they're friends with someone who coaches with someone on another staff. You know, these guys jump jobs so often that they almost know or at least have a connection to someone anywhere. But the fact that they would... Because usually when a head coach goes, the staff is next, right? I mean, yeah, you might finish out the season, but the second they bring in a new coach that new coach is going to want his own staff and more often than not that means you're going to be looking for a new job and, and so to push him out that way seems bizarre but maybe they were worried that if they didn't get something done sooner than later that they would sort of be like guilty by association somehow and maybe they figured that if they were able to force him out get somebody new in and have some success, they stood a chance at least of being hireable after the season. And that's a really bizarre way to look at it. But if, if you're all about just self-preservation, I suppose it's, it's possible, but it's almost, I mean, it's unheard of these days. They have to feel like absolute crap that they got him fired in the end zone. I mean, that's just insane. I, the whole thing is is crazy, but maybe that is it. But I know that that program had just, it is a bottom feeder at the moment because they never could get out of their own way. So they're going to have to get a coach, Urban Meyer, who maybe can get them out of the doldrums, you know, cut a few corners here or there. And I mean, all of them. And all of a sudden they'll be in the national spotlight and have sold their soul to the literal devil in Urban Meyer. But um, I, I thought that this week in football was intriguing. There were a lot of things going on. And I know it's early in the NCAA season and it's hard to gauge because we have so many games to look forward to. A lot of teams are going to lose one and not be eligible for the playoff and all that. And I think, you know, we'll continue to, to monitor it and look at the games that are interesting, but we're not going to know a whole lot. So we're going to debut something a little bit new. Last week, we did something. We went through games and it turned out that we did it in a way that was very ESPN-like. And we really like doing that. So you have aptly named this new segment called Crunch Time. Yeah, man, I think it's great. Just the rapid fire through uh, some upcoming games, just kind of a quick tidbit, your immediate opinion or thoughts or predictions. Uh, there's no better way to do it, in my opinion. And we're going to try to do this as rapidly as possible. We're going to stumble over it. There's no imaging for this, but this, like everything else on this show, will just continue to grow. So, Rad, are you ready for crunch time? Let's fire it up, man. I'm, I'm pumped. Thursday night football. Dolphins at Bengals. Dolphins coming off that emotional victory. I think they're going to be tired. I like the Bengals. I like the Bengals, too. I think uh, being at home, the Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, and company got it going last week. I think they're at home this week. They're going to you know, finally put some things together. The Dolphins on a short week on the road. Give me the Bengals. Number 15, Washington traveling to undefeated UCLA in a game that about seven people are going to watch. I like Mike Penix Jr. and the Huskies here. Yeah, there's, there's going to be no home field advantage type of environment at the Rose Bowl. Uh, probably the only time in any season that place is full is for the actual Rose Bowl. Uh, Washington's a very good football team. Being on the road doesn't scare me. Give me the Huskies. 
Number seven, Kentucky traveling to number 14, Old Miss. This is where Ole Miss jumps and becomes the third best team in the SEC. I like the Rebels here. Man, we got to stop agreeing. I'm with you. Give me the Rebels. Give me Lane Kiffin at home. Uh, I tell you what, though, if Kentucky finds a way to pull it off and Stoops and company get it going, watch out. Number nine, Oklahoma State. Your boys, the Cowboys, always on the fringe, never doing anything. Traveling to number 16, Baylor. I like the Cowboys here. Here we go again. Cowboys are the best team in the Big 12, in my opinion. I think they're going to win the Big 12. They're going to be on the fringe to uh, a college football playoff berth. Take the Cowboys. Number 22, Wake Forest. Coming off of that emotional loss to Clemson at number 23. I can't believe I'm saying this. Florida State. I don't like Wake here because I think Wake is coming off an emotional victory, but I think the Seminoles are back and they need it. I Give me the Seminoles. I think being on the road doesn't scare me at all. Wake Forest, yes, I'm a little nervous how they're going to come off the, the big emotional game last week. I don't think Florida State's that good, though. Give me the Demon Deacons on the road. Switching to the NFL, the Jacksonville Jaguars have arrived. They are traveling to Philadelphia to play the potentially best team in the NFL, Eagles. Jags, I think, have a lot of positives, but playing on the road at a really tough opponent with a tough defense, give me the Eagles. Doug Peterson traveling back to Philadelphia. Uh, plenty of reasons to pick the Eagles, but I'm going to play a little reverse psychology here. It seems like whenever I anoint a team, they take a big shit. I'm a much bigger fan of the Jags having success this year than the Eagles. So reverse psychology, give me the Eagles. Couldn't remember his name earlier in the show. The Bills traveling to Baltimore to play the Ravens. Bills, I think, are actually going to be a little bit tired and a little bit emotionally weak from the last game. Ravens coming off of a big win. They're playing at home. I think they're going to be up for it. Give me the Ravens in a tight game. No, Bills recover. They win convincingly and remove any doubt that anyone has after, after last week's loss to the Dolphins. Bills big. A game that may not take place due to weather, but the Chiefs traveling to Tampa to play the Bucks. Chiefs coming off of a loss to the Colts. Patrick Mahomes is not going to be happy. Tom Brady is going to break three tablets in this game. Give me the Chiefs on the road. Hopefully they find an alternate site to play this game at. It seems like that's what the NFL likes to do. I don't know if that's been talked about. I tell you what, fuck Tom Brady. I'm not a crazy Chiefs fan, but give me the Chiefs. And last, the Rams, your Super Bowl champions, traveling to San Francisco to play Jimmy G and the 49ers. 49ers coming off that abysmal loss to Denver, playing at home. I do like McVay and the Rams here, though. I like McVay and the Rams as well. I think this is going to be a loss that's going to raise a lot of questions about Jimmy G and his future as a quarterback, as a starting quarterback in this league. Give me the Rams. Right there was the first successful crunch time. We went through that in rapid fire time. We didn't even need to practice that. Just back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. If you are listening to the show and you want to let us know a game that you're intrigued by or want to give us your picks, at Drippin' Sports is the handle on Twitter. You can hit us up there. And we are reached the end here, Brad, or we have reached the end for those of us who are practicing proper English. And that means it is time for the Iceman's stat of the week. Now, the coach gave the Iceman stat of the week a little bit earlier, so I'm going to have to pivot a little bit, but I have to ask you a fundamental question, Brad. Have you heard of Chase Daniel? Yes, I have. He's a journeyman backup in the NFL. You are correct. He is a 13-year NFL backup quarterback. Now, I want to give you some stats in him because I think he has done something that I would love for my son to do in his lifetime. His career earnings, he has made $42 million in his 13-year NFL career. And I want to give you some other things about that. He has started five games. That is $8.3 million per start. He has thrown eight touchdowns in 13 years. That is $5.2 million per touchdown. 
He has played in 71 games total, roughly 600K per game, and he has thrown 261 passes, which is $160,000 per pass. Chase Daniel, you are the GOAT. The pride of the University of Missouri, right? Mizzou guy? I believe so. When they were in the Big 12? Yeah, I believe he's a Mizzou guy. He's very likable from what I understand. And I tell you what, that's better than being a long snapper, right? Less pressure. I mean, fuck, give me that all day. Unbelievable. He, he got paid 160 th That's more than I make in a year to throw 260 passes. I mean, uh, one pass. Like, uh, that's just incredible to me. And you know what? He has stayed healthy the whole time. I have to give the guy credit. Talk about leveraging yourself into a great career. I mean, $42 million he got paid to basically do nothing. He held a clipboard for 13 years. But how valuable is it to have that guy, someone you know you can trust, that knows the offense, blah, 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 blah. How valuable is it to have that guy, you know, he's one snap away from being in the game and your season basically depending upon him to some degree. But I'll also say, how often have we seen that type of guy come in and still maintain a successful season? You know, Nick Foles is probably the, the most recent one that had great success. But more often than not, starting quarterback goes out unless you're Tom Brady coming in for Drew Bledsoe or Nick Foles or, you know, Dak, even Tony Romo got his job that way. I'm pretty sure. Then Dak took Romo's job in the same fashion. I mean, there's a handful we can pick out, but most of the time it means your season's over. So cannot wait for Cowboys fans to try and convince me that Cooper Rush is the next Chase Daniel. Okay. So now I have great news. The coach is off the schneid. He had Packers plus one and a half over the Bucks last week in what was not a great game. Packers come away with a two-point victory on the road. So now you are one and two, and like the Tennessee Titans, back in the mix. Yes. So first of all, last week, I felt like that was easy money, right? I don't want to... I want to make this a little challenging for myself. And yeah, there's plenty of easy picks out there I could make. But I want to take one that I think is sort of near and dear to the hearts of things we've talked about on this show almost every week to this point. And that is... The Iowa Hawkeyes, oh, plus no. 10 and a half at home against number four, Michigan. Because like I've said, these are the types of games that Kirk Ferentz and his Iowa Hawkeyes teams show up for. And Michigan did not look great last year or last week against Maryland at home at all. And now, not that Iowa is setting the world on fire, but they're a well-coached team. And I'm telling you right now, I don't think they're going to win, but this game is going to be closer than it should be. Give me the Hawkeyes, plus 10 and a half easily going to be one of the worst picks you've ever had on this show holy crap <laughs> oh man so one and three is definitely on the horizon as i always say whatever brad says hammer the opposite of that so take michigan giving 10 and uh, i think you're going to probably have some you, you you might not be wrong about this i think the only issue is that iowa has looked so constipated on offense in every game that they have played that it's feels like it's going to be difficult for them to keep it that close because Michigan oh, it's has going to be like 10 to 7 it's going to be like 10 to freaking 7 11 to 10 you watch just I can't believe you did that so one one and three is easily on the horizon you are you're feeling you're feeling yourself you got that first win and you're walking into camp like you just won the Super Bowl and hey in the mix I guess is good enough for you but boy what a week it was and so remember Iowa to cover somehow, or not cover, excuse me, Iowa to not get blown out basically against Michigan. But as I always say, good teams win, great teams cover. So we're going to find out a lot about Michigan this week. If Brad comes in two and two, Michigan ain't a great team. They're just a good team. 
I could not agree more, man. I, I was really high on Michigan, even sort of neglecting their opponents thus far. But last week, man, opens because Maryland's dog shit. They're not great. And, and that game was a lot closer than it should have been in the big house. Kinnick's a tough place to play, man. Iowa City, they're crazy. I, I, I this, it, this seems, like I said, easy money. This, like last week, this seems like easy money to me. Like I may bet my own money on this game, like easy money. And that is a great way to end the show. Brad will be crying in his own beer, his own bourbon, and watching his money just wisp away out of the DraftKings app. Before you get out of here, though, please remember to subscribe to the Pub Time Podcast, wherever it is you listen to your podcast. They're doing some new serial killer stuff. By the way, apparently everybody's finding out that Jeffrey Dahmer was a thing because of Netflix now, despite most of us knowing that it was just some crazy shit. So go there if you want to find some interesting content. Of course, go to mattysmedia.com to support the other podcasts that not only I'm on, but that other people are on. We're all doing great work. Podcasting is fun. It's supposed to be, and it's going to be another great week of sports, and you will hear us all next week. So, Coach, thanks again for showing up, my man, and uh, I hope you're 2-2. Two two. I really do, but I don't have a good feeling for you. Hey, man, don't count me out yet. I feel like we have a chance, and again, another great week of sports talk mixed in a little baseball Another big week ahead. Hopefully some of these offenses can get the ball rolling in the NFL. It's been tough. And that is the week that was. This is Drippin' Sports. The opinions and viewpoints expressed on Drippin' Sports with Matty Ice and Brad are those of Matt, Brad, and their guests, and not necessarily those of the Matty Ice Media Network. Drippin' Sports with Matty Ice and Brad is exclusively owned by Matt and Brad and is brought to you by the Matty Ice Media Network.